Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read the Bible together now. So if you have a Bible with you, please open to Acts chapter 6. And we're going to read the first seven verses together. If not, the passage will be on the screen for us. So Acts chapter 6. We're going to read the first seven verses. In those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of god in order to wait on tables brothers and sisters choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word this proposal pleased the whole group they chose stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. Awesome. Hello. Hey, it's great to be here again and to be preaching and that we can be in this room. Let's pray and then um, we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, um, God, that you are in control. Thank you that you are good and thank you that those two facts give us comfort and peace. Lord, we pray that as we come to your word now that you would transform us and change us and that you would be with us this morning we pray that you would do this work among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, did anyone take Ross's advice seven weeks ago and start watching Farmer Wants a Wife? Is it just us? I've got no shame in saying that, right? Me and Elizabeth, we started watching Farmer Wants a Wife. Uh, it was on TV for the last eight weeks. Uh, and it was nice. It was nice to watch just normal men and normal women on a dating show. You know, the, obviously it's still a dating show, so it's still a bit weird, but... It was nice to watch that. Um, however, Monday night was the finale, uh, if you were up to date with it. The blank looks I'm getting out there is like nothing. But let me tell you, maybe it's because you haven't seen the finale yet. But I think for all of us who are watching the finale on Monday night, uh, I speak collectively on behalf of all of us that it was bad. Okay, so if you didn't watch the finale, save your time, don't watch it, especially if you've got it recorded at home, right? Don't watch it, because uh, it was bad. It was really bad. It, you know, the finale uh, of any reality show you get to, and you're hoping for this fairy tale finish, right? You're hoping that the farmer has found a wife, that he stayed with the person that he picked with, uh, that he picked on the show. However, on the finale, it was just terrible. It was nothing of that sort. In fact, out of it, there's five farmers on this show, and out of it, only one guy stayed with the girl he picked, and they live in another state, right? So it was actually all the other four pretty much failed on this show. Uh, in fact, let me just give you the highlights of it. One guy, he went back to work for one week, 
and then the relationship broke down. Another guy, well, I mean, to be fair to this other guy, none of the other girls liked him in the first place, so he gets let off uh, for this one. Another guy, they went on a trip together, and they realized they were just friends, you know. Who would have thought you'd want to be friends with the person you're married to? But they, he didn't want that. And then the final guy, uh, he just couldn't say, I love you. Commitment issues. And so that broke down as well. And as you're watching this, I was annoyed for two reasons. Firstly, I was annoyed at myself for watching Farmer Wants a Wife. That, that I listened to Ross. Why did I do that? But then secondly, I was annoyed because it's kind of like these farmers didn't realize that difficulty would come to their relationship. And as soon as it did come, they just simply gave up on it. You know, when, when it comes to relationships, the question is not when will difficulty come, but how will you deal with it? And for all of these farmers, when the difficulty came, they either gave up or actually just went to some other girl. And, and this principle, this idea, when difficulty comes, it's not the question of will it come, but how will you deal with it when it does? And that's true for relationships. We know that. That's true for TV shows. That's true for pretty much everywhere in life. But it, of course, it's true here at church. It's true for the church. It's true here at Southside, right? Like you might be on your honeymoon period at Southside. This church might be doing everything for you that you want. This might be the best church ever. But let me tell you, difficulty is going to come. And if you haven't experienced that, the honeymoon period will end at some point. The question is not, will it come? The, the, the reality is it will come. The question is, how will we deal with it when it comes? How will we, as a church, as a people, deal with it when Southside, when this room, this people, gets difficult? What, what, what process can we go through to make sure that it's a healthy way that we're actually dealing with the difficulty that comes with church? Well, what we're going to see as we enter into this chapter in Acts is that they show us how to deal with difficulty. In fact, we're going to see three things in this passage of how they deal with difficulty. And, and I, I love this passage. We're in Acts chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles there, three things that we see. And we see the first in verse 1. They recognize the mess. This is what we see. It says this, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. What's the first thing they do? They recognize the mess, right? You can see that from this passage. There's mess there, right? People aren't being cared for. Jobs aren't being done. It's messy, right? People are complaining about it. The whole situation is kind of messy. Now, it raises the question, how did this happen? How did we get to the point where there was mess and difficulty in the church? Because remember where we were last week? Like if you were with us last week or in growth group uh, throughout the week, we looked at how good the church was going, right? In Acts chapter 2, we saw the church in Acts 2 was the best church ever. You know, you'd want to be a part of that church. They were growing. They were on mission together. They were loving each other. They were selling stuff to give to each other. They were growing in their faith. They were doing everything. They were serving each other. It was the best church ever. Chapter 4, you get this picture again in verse 32. They're of one heart and one mind. You know, this church, they're killing it together. They're selling property. They're loving each other so well. So what happened? What happened? What happened to that church of Acts 2 and Acts 4? How did we get to the point where we are now in chapter 6 where there's complaints, where people aren't being cared for, where jobs aren't being done? Well, they grew. Right? That's what we see there in verse 1. They grew, and since they were increasing, growth brings problems. Right? That's just true in all of life. More people, more problems. You put more people in a room, 
you're going to have more problems, right? That's just it. That's just the facts of life because you've got different cultures, different values, different ideas, different preferences. Some people like loud music. Some people like soft music. Some people like coffee. Some people like tea. Some people grew up not being open with each other. And other people grew up where bluntness was just a part of normal life, right? More people, more problems. That's just the reality of life. You put more people in a room and you're going to find more difficulties. You're going to be hurt by more people. You're going to pour your life out to someone and they're not going to receive that. They're going to throw it back in your face. And that's what's going on in this church. They grow. Growth brings problems. So what are their problems? Well, it's got to do with widows. Now, I know this feels a little bit strange um, reading it today and thinking, what, what is the exact problem? The context going on here is that back in the day, if you were a Jew, you would go to the temple to get your social welfare system. Okay, So it's kind of like the pension was from the temple. But if you became a Christian, then the temple would say to you, okay, we're not going to give you that money anymore. So for a Christian, then, you had to fall under the care of the church. The church now had to provide for you the money to eat and do rent, whatever, right? The church now looked after that system. Now, the picture we've got here is you've got the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, okay? So you've got Hellenistic Jews. They're your Greek-speaking Jews, okay? So think Greek values, Greek cultures, Greeks, okay? Then you've got Hebraic Jews. They speak Aramaic, different values, different cultures, okay? Two groups of people. Is that clean or is that messy, it's messy, right? Different people in a room with different cultures together. You know, you th- kind of think of the, today's version might be like Americans and Australians. You know, similar, different, right? <laughs> Pretty different. That's kind of what's going on here. So you're Greek-speaking Jews, Hebraic-speaking Jews, and the Greek-speaking Jews complain that their widows aren't being looked after, right? The Hebraic Jews, they're getting preferential treatment, but our widows, they're not getting enough food or any food at all. And so what do they do? They complain about it. Now, I know that's weird. Who would have thought in a church that someone would complain? You wouldn't expect it to happen, right? But they complain about it. And and as we read this in verse 1, you know what this shows us? Mess, difficulty, You know, you often pass right through this and think the church in Acts is just the greatest church ever that never have any problems, but they got issues. They got problems. And and what it shows us is from the very beginning, difficulty is just part of the package, right? If the church is growing, if the church is reaching people, then you're going to face difficult times. You're going to face problems. Now, here at Southside, we've experienced this, you know, over the years as we've shifted and moved and had to change. We've gone from no kids church to a kids church, no youth to youth, small building to bigger building to this building, and every change has created problems. You throw in their relationship issues, right? You throw in there the fact that some people speak differently to us and have hurt us along the way. And then you just think about our circumstances right now, you know, like this moment where we are right now where everything is heightened you know we came back eight weeks ago and it was kind of the honeymoon period we got to see people again it was great now we're eight weeks in the cracks are starting to appear you know we're starting to realize that hang on this is it this is the people that i'm with you know i don't get to see everyone on a sunday it's it's cracks beginning to be exposed there's difficulty that's coming there's difficulty that's here 
You know, add on that, if you've got a cough, you've got to stay home. You've got allergies even. You've got to stay home. And, and it's hard, right? It's a, it's a problem. There's difficulty that we face. But you see, what we see from Acts chapter 6, this is just part of the package. You know, where the church exists and where growth happens, difficulty is going to be there. And we need to recognize the mess. We need to call it as we see it. You know, in fact, if you deny the mess, if you deny that church is going to be difficult, what's going to happen? You're going to feel alone. You're going to feel guilty when it does happen. You're going to have unrealistic expectations. You're going to continue to go around searching for another local church that doesn't have any mess. If you don't have any mess, right? So if you deny it, there's problems. If you don't have any mess, there could be problems there as well. It might be a sign that your church isn't growing because you're not reaching enough people. But if you can recognize the mess, that's when you don't dismiss it, but you see it, you call it, and you push into that space to deal with it. Okay, so the first thing that Acts 6 church showed us is that when it comes to difficulty, we've got to call it. We've got to recognize that this is going to be hard and going to be messy. What's the second thing we do? Well, we see this as we keep reading. In chapter 2, verse 4, if the first is recognize the mess, the second thing we see, particularly in verse 2 and 4, is that we remember the why. Okay, we remember the why. So we see this in chapter 2. They say, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Then they figure it out in verse 3, but then verse 4 they say it again. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the church recognized the mess. They see the problem. They go to deal with it, but as they deal with the problem, they don't forget why they exist in the first place. You see this. They, they remember the very why to their existence. They're not going to give up the Word of God in order to care for people because they know why they exist. You know, we, we saw this last week. We asked this question last week. Why do we do church? Why are we here? Why do we exist? And what we saw was that we exist because God has unleashed His Spirit in us and through us, not simply as individuals, but as the church. Right? There's something about us, not just me, but us. God has unleashed His Spirit in us, in the local church. And as we speak the ministry of the Word, that's how people are saved. And it's not just you know, the Word, it's specifically the message of Jesus. So you get this over and over again in the book of Acts. When they speak about Jesus, people are saved. Now, last week, Ryan talked to us about the medical chief health officer uh, who was talking about the restrictions. You know, and the illustration last week was we're doing this because of life and death are on the line. And we thought about how, as a church, how much more is this the case for us? Because it's not just life and death, it's heaven and hell. You know, here at Southside, we often talk about the illustration of a lifeboat. You know, we are a lifeboat, and like we know with lifeboats, they are going to get people who are drowning. If that lifeboat doesn't get to the drowning person, that person is going to die. We are the lifeboat because we have the only way that people can be saved. We are the only ones with the message of how people can be saved, the message of Jesus. We're the lifeboat. And so this is why we exist. We exist because heaven and hell are real. And the disciples get this. They get that this is why they exist. And, and this is why when difficulty comes, notice this, they don't go back. Right? When, when hard times come, they don't go back. You know, they don't see the problems with the widows and they go, oh man, I wish we could go back to Acts chapter 1 when there was 140 of us. You know, we all knew each other's names at that point. 
It was nice. There was only a couple of widows there too. That was easy to care for them. We didn't have divisions in the church. We didn't have different cultures and values. It was all so easy. Nor did they go, I wish we could go back to Acts chapter 2 when there was just 3,000 of us. Yeah, it was a bit bigger. We still knew each other's faces, right? We smiled when we walked, you know, across the street from each other. No, they don't want to go back because they know why they, they exist. Nor do they say, let's give up, right? This is too hard, the widows thing. Let's, let's give up on this. Let's stop meeting as a church and let's hand these widows back over to the temple. They'll look after them. No, they don't, give, they don't go back and they don't give up because they can't afford to because heaven and hell are on the line, right? You, you notice this? Heaven and hell are on the line. The ministry of the word matters. They can't go back and they can't give up. And when we think about church and when we think about us and when we face difficulty, we have to remember this. We have to remember that we're not here as a social club. You know, you're not here just so you can meet some other people on a Sunday. We're not here as a cheap cafe. We're not here where you can, you know, put your kids in kids' church and have 30 minutes to have a nap. <laughs> no, we're here because heaven and hell are real. We're here because this stuff really matters. And we continue to gather and we continue to push on because this matters. You see, growth matters because people matter. And heaven and hell are on the line. And so the church, they get this, right? They see the mess. They see that it's hard. They remember why they exist. And they continue because they know that heaven and hell are real. They see the spiritual realities. So firstly, we recognize the mess. Secondly, we remember the why. What's the third way that we deal with difficulty in the church? Well, we see this in these final verses here. They recommit to the mission. So notice this. In verse 2, they say it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And so they choose seven men who are going to do this. Verse 6, they present them to the apostles. They pray on them and lay their hands on them. What's the third way they deal with difficulty? They recommit to the mission, right? They don't give up. They don't go back. Instead, they go hard. They recommit to the mission. And what does that look like? Well, it's pretty simple for these guys. They serve. People in the church step up and serve. So again, notice this. They change here, don't they? The church's structures here shift. They pivot. They change in order to make sure they can care for the widows and keep preaching the message of Jesus. They shift and they change and they pivot and they move and what happens is people step up. People recommit to the mission of God. Now this is really cool. The seven guys that do this. We don't really notice this in English, but all of their names are Greek. Now, you know, that might seem insignificant, but you think about it, who were the ones who complained? It was the Greek Jews. And here, seven Greek men step up to serve. You see what that means? They became the solution to the problem they were complaining about. They became the solution to what they were complaining about within the church. You know, how many times do we complain about stuff that we actually could be the answer to? You know, it happens quite a lot. 
Here they recommit to the mission. They step up. They see the problem and the church steps up. They recommit to the mission of God among the local people, among the local church. Now, as we think about what this means for us, again, over the years, people have recommitted to the mission over and over again. You know, people have stepped up and served time and time and time again within this church. You know, again, as we've moved from a small building to that next building to this building, people had to serve to do that. People poured their life out to make it happen. You know, people were giving, serving in multiple ministries, coming in at nights to make all this happen. People did this over and over again. But we do have to recognize that there is no time like the present. And even if we've recommitted to the mission in the past, we have to recognize there's something about the present that we need to recommit to. You know, we're aware of right now the fact that to do church, it's different to what it looked like before COVID. Okay, so you might feel that. You might feel the sense that there's added pressure right now, but let me give you some numbers. Okay, so we've gone from one service to two services. Okay, in that, we've gone from in the one service before COVID, we had 40 people serving on a Sunday, 40 serving opportunities and 40 people taking those opportunities. Now we move to 80 serving opportunities with two services. 80 serving opportunities compared to 40. Now, some of those, some people are doing two opportunities, okay? So like our musos and our tech team, they serve twice on a Sunday, okay? Now, in that, we're only achieving 60 of the 80. Only 60 opportunities are being taken at the moment. So what that means is we're letting the ball drop around the place, Now, you add to that the fact that at the moment our numbers are down. Okay, so before COVID, um, we were averaging about 230 people the couple of weeks before COVID. Now, because of, you know, whatever reasons, vulnerability, um, people staying at home for different reasons. If you're sick, you've got to stay home. If your kid's sick, you know, whatever the reasons are. But right now, we're averaging 180 across two services. 60 of that 180 are kids. Okay, so if you're sitting there and you're analytical, maybe you're you're an engineer or you think about numbers a lot. Okay, so 120 adults who can take 80 serving opportunities. What does that look like? You know, we think about, okay, how do we do that? How How do we achieve that? Maybe you're sitting there and going, it's a lot of work. Yes, it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work, right? Some people have served for eight weeks straight. Some people are working themselves into the ground to make sure that we can gather. It is a lot of work. Is it worth it? Yes. uh, Like, unbelievably so, because heaven and hell are on the line, right? Like, if this is a cafe, we would have shut. We wouldn't open. But we're not. This isn't just a social thing. We're here because God is at work among us and heaven and hell are real. So then if, if that's the case, what do we do? Well, we, we actually need to recommit to the mission. We actually need to see what's on the line and recommit to the mission. We need to figure out if we're willing to do that. And not just in intentions, not just in thoughts, but in practice because we need you, right? Let me tell you this, let me look at you. We need you. You know, right now here at Southside, we got opportunities not being taken. Let me give you a couple in which if you told us that you could serve in these areas, we would take you as of 
9.35. Our cleaning team, okay, led by Christina and her team, who have done an amazing job over so many years, the burden has been too big for them before COVID, right? That's just it. It's such a big building and such a small number of people that do that. On top of that, Charlotta, who used to come in during the week and vacuum, she's in Germany, kind of stuck there with her family because of COVID, okay? So we got less people now serving, and some people have stepped up, and if that's you, we're so grateful for you. Um, Some people have stepped up, but the job is bigger than what it was before COVID. We need serving people. We need people who will commit to this consistently, who will say, I'll be there every week and turning up and serving because we need you. Our cleaners are being crushed under the burden of COVID safe and we need you to help them. You know, when, when Christina finds out someone volunteers to help on that team, it's life. We need you on that. English for life, right? We have an amazing opportunity throughout the week to speak to people about Jesus. You know, English for life. You might not be able to speak English that well. You might not be able to teach English that well. But if you're free on a Wednesday, we have this incredible opportunity and not enough people to help out, right? Like you might not be able to teach, but they could use you to clean before and after. They could use you for welcoming. Look, Janet's just sitting there going, we could use you for anything, right? If you can volunteer, but, but we need you, right? We've got to recommit to the mission. Pretty much press any area of our serving here at church and we could use you. You know, hospitality, we could use you. Membership, we could use you. Mission, we could use you. Ministry, any area of church, pretty much we could use you. But what it requires is for us as individuals, for you as individuals to actually decide, I am going to recommit to this mission. I'm going to step up and I'm going to step into this space. I'm not going to flee from the difficulty. I'm not going to give up on this, but I'm going to push into this. Now, what does that look like practically? Well, Ryan said before, there's a QR code on the back of your sheet about a ministry form. If you fill that out, he'll get into contact with you. Or talk to him after the service. Or talk to me. Do whatever you need to do, but don't leave today if you want to recommit without either the QR code to fill out that form or talking to one of us. Because when we face difficulty as a church, what we see in Acts is they recognize the mess, they remember the why, and then they recommit to the mission of God. And I love what happens. You know, did you notice what happens in verse 7 when they do this? They grow. As church, the people of God commit to the mission of God in the local church, the church grows. The church grows. They increase in number. Priests even become obedient to the faith. You see, as we recognize the mess, remember the why, and recommit to the mission. We can be confident that God will grow his church. It happens in Acts, and it happens right around the world. So let's finish with this. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to James from Open Doors. We were recording some episodes for the Navigate podcast. If you haven't listened to them, just just do it. They're really, really good episodes talking about the persecuted church at the moment. But before the episode, um, we were talking about just the difficulty the church faces at the moment. And he just said this thing, and I don't even know if he meant it to be really that good, but it was so helpful. He was talking about the church in Egypt. And he was saying recently they faced bombings and persecutions and massacres, and even recently they've increased the punishment um, if you tell someone under the age of 16 about Jesus. But what he said was, the crazy thing about the church in Egypt is that these persecutions aren't just recent. In fact, they've faced difficulty for 2,000 years. 
Okay, over 2,000 years. A long period of suffering within the church, and yet the church continues. Why? Well, it's because the week after a massacre, they turn up. They recommit. They remember they can't afford to give up because heaven and hell are on the line, and so they go in. They don't flee. They don't go back. They go hard. You know, our struggles are different. Of course, they're different to the church in Egypt. Our moment is different. But we do face difficulty. And if you're not experiencing it right now, we will face difficulty. It will come for you here at Southside. But when we recognize the mess and remember the why and recommit to the mission of God, this is where God works. And he has unleashed his spirit through God's people. And we can be confident that we can reach our community if we push into this space. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be confident that you are at work among us. Lord, we recognize that right now for so many different reasons. Lord, this moment is difficult for us. But we pray that as we think about this moment, that we would recognize the difficulty and call it as it is, but that we'd remember why we exist and what you're doing here, and that we as individuals would recommit to the mission of God here at Southside for the sake of your glory and your kingdom and for the sake of reaching people because heaven and hell are on the line. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.